Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the CNO podcast, episode eight. It's been a couple of weeks. The boys had actually a very busy couple of weeks here, and there's been a lot of things to go on in the NHL. Uh, it's the dog days here in the summer in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and I'll start it off by throwing it over to Kian. How are we today? Not too shabby. You know, finally got a haircut after hair salons opening, but just been sitting back, playing some video games, working, not doing too much. Didn't even watch the game last night, honestly. So just enjoying summer right now. It's finally nice that it's not blazing hot out. Yeah, awesome. Now we'll throw it over to Owen. Yeah, long time no see to the select few listeners out there, all 227 of you. Yeah, I think it's been three weeks for me. So I apologize in advance if there's any rust. But yeah, I've been busy with summer and work and yeah, finally able to be outside and actually do stuff. And life's been good recently. Busy, but good. Just less time for CNO podcast. Life has been good recently, but not for a former NHL player now. On Monday, uh, July 5th, we heard the news of the passing of um, Matisse Kivlenix. Um, he was a goaltender for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and he tragically passed away at the age of 24 due to a firework accident um, on July 4th weekend. And uh, just on behalf of all of us, we just want to you know, wish his family you know, condolences and things like that. Uh, nobody wants anybody to pass and especially you know on a weekend that's supposed to be one of the most fun weekends of the year for everybody in the world he was lost too young he was a good up-and-coming goaltender that i think probably could have played for columbus next year especially with their goaltending situation right now did he have a shutout this year or did i read something wrong i thought he had a shutout in one of his first games or he at least won his first game i want to say but i could be way wrong All, all that i know is that everybody that's uh talked about him like I know that uh, Nick Foligno has come out publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, Pierre-Luc Dubois, guys like that have just said that he was just a really good guy. And, you know, they saw a lot of potential in him. Obviously, he was, he's a Latvian goalie. So he had a lot of uh, showings like internationally and he always played well. So uh, it's too bad because I think that, you know, 24 is when a goalie is just starting to to blossom and it's too bad that he was lost so early. But before we get into too many sad things one thing that makes me happy is that the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup and that the Montreal Canadiens didn't so <laughs> uh I know that that uh, Owen would have been watching the game yesterday what were some some things that you noticed on Tampa's end yesterday yeah I mean bottom line is that the best team in the league won the Stanley Cup and I know some people are all upset calling them out for um their use of the LTIR and all you know all their whatever them playing within the rules but people are upset but that's okay. I mean, I'm not even a Tampa fan, but I don't think you can be upset that they won. They have lame jerseys, which kind of sucks. I wish that they had cool jerseys for such a good team. Point, Kucherov, Stamkos. I mean, it just goes on and on. When your fourth line is Tyler Johnson, who is a former first-line player, legitimate first-line player at one point, I mean, you're doing pretty well. And when Sergeyev and Savard is your third defense pairing, I mean, yeah, people say it's because that they're over the cap by whatever, like 17 million, but you know what, the best team won at the end of the day. And I think that's all that needs to be said. Yeah, well, and, you know, ironically, for a team that was basically full of one-time Stanley Cup champions or two-time Cup champs, if you want to count Patrick Maroon, it was a player that didn't have a Stanley Cup that came in clutch for them, right? Ross Colton scored a nice goal. 
Manner off a great it. pass from from Savard too. Like you know, everybody. Well, not everybody. I've seen some things where people don't think that Savard was like worth a first round pick, but like it doesn't matter if you win the cup first of all, and second of all, you know when you're trading for a first round pick, you're trading for for need on your team, and obviously they felt like they needed a right-handed defenseman that could shut down players. And that's what they got with David Savard. And I think that they can be really happy with how he played for them, obviously, because they won the cup. <laughs> uh, I don't think that he'll be returning next season, obviously, with them, but you don't need him to come back if you won the cup. Well, it's like last year, Tampa gave up a first-round pick for Brachio Goudreau, and everyone's all up in flames. Where I was a Sharks fan. I loved Goudreau. He probably one of the clutchest performers in the playoffs. He's showing kind of as a bottom six guy but yeah like they gave up a first round pick but no one's talking about it now that the Sharks picked Aussie Weisbaugh with the last pick of the first round or one of them right like yeah it's a first round pick but at the end of the day they won cups like Good said so it doesn't even matter I'm just gonna kind of jump ahead here but um I mean if you guys want to go back and actually talk about the series I'm more than happy to do that but like next 100%. year for Tampa Bay it'll be interesting to see what happens because I mean if they win next year then I mean they're a full-blown dynasty Oh, 100%. We talk about the Blackhawks. They're, what was it? Yeah, three and five years. And that's, we consider that a modern dynasty. If Tampa goes three in a row next year, then they're just a legitimate all time dynasty, not even a modern. But it'll be hard with the amount of free agents they have. And, you know, uh, Breezeball, Julian Breezeball, that's the GM, right? Yeah, he's going to have to do some uh, cap dancing this summer. And it'll be interesting to see what happens there. They're going to lose some good players. But, I mean, can't count them, count them out for next year, that's for sure. Yeah, well, and, and while we're on the topic of, you know, cap and stuff like that, right now, this is with um, all of their UFAs, all of their money being off the books because the season, like, just finished, right? So Tampa is currently $3.5 million or a little bit more over the cap right now, like, just as it sits with Coleman not even counting against the cap anymore, right? So up front... Their free agents are Jamal Smith. He's a UFA. Barkley Goudreau. He's a UFA. Blake Coleman's a UFA. Ross Colton and Alex Barre Boulet are both um, RFAs. And sure. then on who was that last guy you said? Alex Barre Boulet. He's a he's a 24 year old player. He played 15 games from this year. Hmm. Uh, and then on defense they have Yan or um sorry David Savard, UFA. Luke Shen UFA, and Cal Foot RFA. So. And then in net, whatever, they have Christopher Gibson and Curtis McElhaney, but it doesn't really matter who's backing up Vasilevsky. <laughs> so some players that I that I think that they'll look at moving, I guess, would be uh, like Yanni Gord. He has four years left at 5.16 million, and he has a no-move clause. So it might be hard for them to get him to waive that. But uh, Tyler Johnson has three years left at 5 million. It's a bad contract. Uh, I'm sure that they'll try to find any way to give them like to give them up for something. So they have their first round pick in 2022. So maybe they could package him with like a first round pick and trade him somewhere in order to get him off the books. I mean, like he's playing on the fourth line right now. Right. So, and then a guy like Alex Kalorn has two years left. He's making 4.45. So those are just like some of their forwards that I could see them moving on from. I don't uh, see them moving Kalorn out of those three. Yeah. I, I think that Kalorn's probably, in my opinion, the most likely to stay. And I think, I, I think money-wise, he's making the best out of the three of them. 4.4 4. 4 might be a bit much for Klorin, but out of, out of him and 
him, Johnson, and Gord, I think Lauren's by far the better player and also making the best money with only two years left on this contract. Sorry, what were you going to say, Owen? Uh, no, I was just going to say, do you guys think Palak could go? I'm pretty sure he only has a year left on his contract, if I'm not mistaken. So he might be a guy that could go if they, he's not signed long term. And I mean, he'd be a pretty attractive player to add. I mean, top six winger with only one yeah. year left, no long term commitment and no, obviously not a bad contract. Yeah. And like when I'm looking at their, their free agents this summer, like, Barkley Goudreau and Blake Coleman, I think it's kind of a given that they're they're not going to be on the team next year, right? I mean, you look at a guy like Jamel Smith. I mean, like, yeah, they could bring him back, maybe on, like, league minimum. Uh, Ross Colton, he's an RFA. I'm not sure how much money he will want. I, I couldn't imagine it being very much, and he could take a bigger role this year. I think he proved that in the playoffs, especially over, like, the last four-ish games or whatever, where he was playing with Stamkos and, and Sorelli. And then Alex Barre-Boulet, I think that he's going to have a full-time roster spot next year. And some other guys, like, just to look out for that could make the jump, in my opinion, are Boris Kachuk and Antoine Morand, as well as Taylor Radish. I think those are, like, three guys, you know, they're all... And Joseph, you know, like I think. Well, yeah, and Joseph for sure. He's still under contract. Oh, and so oh is, yeah, yeah. And so is Mitchell Stevens and uh, Patrick Maroon. So, like, those are some guys that could add them some depth. Maybe, maybe even, you know, one of them steps up their game over the summer and can become like a full time, like, third liner or something like that on a team that'll basically have to reconstruct their entire bottom six forwards. And they have five of their six defensemen coming back. And I think that Cal Foot could jump in and be a full time NHLer next year. So, Unless he gets claimed by Seattle, picked by Seattle. Just from like a kind of just dazed off, you're trying to think of what they can do. I think they're most likely to move Johnson. He did have a really good playoffs, I think. And especially in like, game three, he had two goals. Mm-hmm. So I think if they move Johnson, he, he's making five mil for it. Two more, three more years, you said? Uh, he has three years left on his contract. So yeah, that's five mil a year. Because I, I honestly think Coleman and Goudreau might take discounts like one and a half mil, two mil, maybe. So they could Cole, maybe make Cole, that work. Coleman, I think Coleman's he's gonna be five mil no, at least. Actually, Coleman. Five actually, yeah, not Coleman. Goodrow for sure. Actually, I think Goodrow would take a smaller contract to stay there. Depends um, how many of these guys that they can move. Yeah. Right? Like I, I think that because well, you got th- you got to think expansion draft too. So one, I think one of them is going to get taken. Yeah, I think Johnson's like almost a lot to go to the Kraken like it's mm-hmm. been like talked about for like well over a year and yeah he played junior hockey in Spokane so like you know like pretty much right there so I mean to bring a guy that played pretty close by have him he could be a pretty big selling point and you know what he maybe play like I mean he wouldn't play on their fourth line so I feel like Johnson to the Kraken is almost a given at this point yeah I, I completely agree with that whether it be via the expansion draft or if they trade him to the Kraken with something because honestly whether Tyler Johnson's playing on like in the top six or on the fourth line that's still a bad contract for what he is right now it was a really good contract when he signed it but it's gotten right guys like Yanni Gord have just passed him in the depth chart right and Andre Platt him and Johnson came in as rookies in the same year and it's just it's more about fit now right so that that was kind of the reason why Johnson was getting demoted I think that he'd fit really well on a on an expansion team though he could kind of rebrand not rebrand himself he can like remake himself into the player that he kind of used to be maybe even if it's just a shell of his former self I think that it would be a good ad for the Kraken though for sure you guys want to hop over and talk about Montreal for a bit we've been kind of yeah going on for Tampa here I mean I don't think we can underestimate uh, or undervalue Montreal here I mean that was a Cinderella run and a half. And what I was thinking about earlier on today, 
when I was thinking about what we were going to talk about today is when everybody looks back at the Stanley Cup final in 30 years, they're going to look and see, oh, Tampa Bay ran through Montreal. They outscored them, whatever, 15 to eight. It was a five-game series, blah, blah, blah. This series was much closer than a five-game series had to be or usually is, right? Game two, Montreal played an outstanding game. They played really well, and they just couldn't bury anything because they ran into the best goal in the NHL. Game four, they obviously won. And then game five, they were in it the entire game. They were getting chances. Caulfield hit the post. But just what what fucked them in the ass was their lack of scoring, obviously, right? And it's been talked about forever with Montreal. They have good defense. They have really, really good goaltending. But they can't really figure out, like, consistent goal scoring. They can get it for, like, a series or they can get it for, like, a little stretch but they couldn't string it together against Tampa. Yeah, and I mean, you were t- just mentioning the, the goal scoring. I mean, that was obviously a huge issue. I mean, you got shut out last night. So obviously, if you don't, if you don't score, you're not going to win. But also, like, defensively, like, early on, just like Shea Weber said in the, the post game last night, like, they just weren't good enough in, Carey Price, in front of Carey Price. Like, you know what? He's been playing at, like, a superhuman level all playoffs. But then this series, you know what? They kind of slowed down a little bit in front of him defensively and just way more just turnovers and sloppy defensive plays. So, I mean, even like defensively, Montreal, just not good enough to beat Tampa Bay. I guess we're just giving Tampa even more props here when I was the one saying we should talk about Montreal. So maybe being a bit of a hypocrite, but yeah, just Tampa, just that much better than Montreal. I think overall, like just from what I watched, I didn't watch all five games. I think I watched two, maybe three, but from what I saw, it almost looked like their defense almost just got way too calm in front of Carey Price and defensive end. You know, carrying the puck, trying to get it out, trying to, you know, either break it out or chip it out or something. They they just made too many mental mistakes, I feel, where, you know, Sherratt would give up a puck or, you know, go to him and backhand and just whip on it. And then, you know, Tampa Bay has it back. So from just from what I watched, at least in the games, it just seemed like uh, Montreal just got way too comfortable in front of Carey Price, which is unfortunate with how good Carey Price played. Yeah, and you were mentioning how they were kind of playing careless. That was... Game two that Keen and I, we actually watched that one together. And that was when Petrie made kind of the lazy play behind the net. And that's when Platt kind of took advantage and made it 3-1 for them in that game. And that ended up being, you know, like the dagger. Montreal, I, I think, obviously I watched all four of their games against Winnipeg. I watched like majority of their games against Vegas. Then I watched all the games against Tampa. They kind of wavered away from their own style against Tampa because the problem is that when you're playing a team like that coaches will always be like oh we got to play our game right but you can't always play your game especially when a team is that good and they're that fast as Tampa you have to make some adjust adjustments and they they couldn't make the adjustments quick enough in that series and by the time that they did they're already down by three three games and I'll hop in into what you said they're good it just like Tampa I think Tampa is one of those teams where all right you want to play a defensive game fuck Tampa can do it you want to play offensively? We can do it. However, a team wants to play, I think they can play that way. It, they kind of, you know, go into a set, seven, seven games against New York. Six, seven. Going seven games against New York, yeah, they New York really locked them down. But it, like just playing against Montreal, they were like, okay, if you want to play defensive in this this point of the game, we can lock it down. We have good enough guys. We have a really good depth. So. Tampa's just one of those teams that can play any style that you want to and they can match it. I'm hopping back just quickly to Montreal. I mean, how much of a factor do you think it played into that they really only ran four defensemen for like the majority of the playoffs? I mean, 
Eric Gustafson and John Merrill barely played when they were in the lineup. I mean, Gustafson was really just in the lineup only for power play purposes. A complete defensive liability with all due respect to him. He's, they only got him for the power play. So I feel like that just kind of caught up to them and just only running the four guys. I mean, it, it, it's got to wear you down. I've never played anywhere near NHL level hockey, but I can only imagine how tiring it is after a while. And then also when they threw in Romanov and um, Kulak, like that must have been kind of weird for the top four guys. Like they're not going out every second shift. They kind of get a break. So I don't know if maybe they got some acid in their legs at some point of the game, but like, cause they almost, it almost kind of looked like they had a routine at some point where it's okay. Weber would go out and then the next line, then Weber again, then the next line. Okay. Maybe Gustafson and Merrill go out for a shift every six shifts. So I don't know if it kind of was kind of weird for them to adapt quote unquote to it, but. No, I think that what got Montreal this far, in my opinion, like was their coaching, right? Because it obviously is their depth, but it's also the coach who decides who goes out at what times and line matching. Right. So I, I think that obviously, like you said, it's kind of an issue that they only ran four defensemen. I don't really remember watching a team make it that far and only play that many players, right? And definitely like Shea Weber, he's what, like 35 or 36 years old. So he's obviously getting tired. I think Pichu's 32 or 33. Sherratt's not very young either, right? So all these defensemen, they're getting, they're older and they're all big. And when you got to move around that weight, it's even harder than moving it around when you're Yanni Gord's size or, or Brendan Gallagher's size, which he can't skate, by the way. And so I, I think that it, it ended up becoming an issue just because they're getting worn down because, you know, their Vegas series was like, was tough. Like you could tell it was tough on them. They had to play 110% to win that series. I don't think that was like the thing that ended up screwing them, but it was one of the things that contributed to them losing. I also feel like Montreal... Uh... Uh, maybe I might be wrong here, but they didn't play a team as fast as Tampa. I would say, like, it, would it, would I be wrong that they're saying that? I, I mean, think, you can, I think you're kind of right. Yeah, v- Vegas is very fast, but they didn't they didn't look as fast. No, like I just I, I just find whenever I think of fast teams that like have been in the playoffs, I think of Tampa number one and then Colorado. Like just the players they have on their lineup, their wingers, their D. Like I just feel like the Jets. I, I don't think they're a fast team whatsoever. Montreal or um, Toronto. I mean, they have some fast players like Marner, but like. For the most part, they had Thornton, Simmons, Spezza, you know, just guys who aren't that fast, Felino. Whereas Tampa, they have Point, Stamkos, he's kind of fast. Kutrov can get up there. Gord buzzes out there. Coleman is pretty fast, right? Colton, like, almost seems like at least two guys on almost every line. Maybe not every line, but they, they have some sort of really quick speed. Whereas the three other teams they played didn't really have that other than Vegas, maybe. Yeah, for sure. And uh, if you guys are fine kind of moving past this series, I feel like we've mm-hmm. talked a lot about it. Um, wait, 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 one thing. Do you guys see Brendan Gallagher? Yeah, his house got broken into. Yeah, yeah that's hey, crazy. Pitbull's been there. Yeah, believe me, been there, done that. that. That is kind of crazy. You lose the Stanley Cup final and then you, which is every kid's dream. And then you get home and your house has been robbed. Like that's 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 a terrible twenty four hours wait, right wait. there. Losing wait. the cup finals, every yeah. Kid. Or no, well, being <laughs> in the cup finals and winning it is every kid's dream. Like that's so, every kid's nightmare. Losing, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, a nightmare is a bad dream. So, um, <laughs> there there were some important um, awards that were announced uh, this past week in the NHL. Although all of you will know them, we'll still talk about them. So, Connor McDavid won the heart, most valuable player. Uh, unanimously, I think it, I I think I heard it was the only the second time ever that anybody won it unanimously, which is pretty incredible. 
that one Toronto writer didn't throw one on Matthews. I was, I was about to say that. I'm so surprised a Toronto writer did not just throw him under the bus and voted like Zach Hyman or something. I'm surprised that, yeah, like no Toronto writer ruined all of their integrity by doing that. So that was kind of cool. Like David won the Ted Lindsay, best player voted on by the players. Not really a surprise. And then Adam Fox won the Norris. I'm happy that he won the Norris because I think that he deserved it out of the three nominees. I don't think that he'll ever win another Norris. I think it's kind of one of those one and dones with him. I, I could be wrong, but that's just kind of what I think, like in my opinion. But it was cool to see like like a brand new player win an award like that because, you know, usually the writers, I mean, we saw it with Lidstrom when he was like 40, when the Norris when he was like 40. So, I mean, they, they love to give it to the guys that are already proven. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they gave it to Fox, but I, I'm happy that they did. Did you see Fox was like, what was it? He was the only second sophomore in NHL history to win the Norris behind Bobby Orr. Mm-hmm. I, I, I for sure would have thought a sophomore D-man would have won in the NHL other than Bobby Orr. Yeah, I'm surprised that maybe like, uh, like I, I'm not really sure, like a defenseman like like Denny Potvin or something like that. I'm surprised that a guy like that didn't win it when he was young. And going to your point where you're saying he can only win one, I mean, with Cale McCart in the league, it may be tough for him to win another one. But I wouldn't count him out. I mean, he plays on the Rangers, so they get – all the spotlight, East Coast bias is a is a thing. And then, um, I mean, you throw in all these young, exciting prospects he's going to be playing with. The thing that may hurt him is, say, when a guy like Nils Lundqvist comes in and takes away some of the spotlight. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to follow his career and see if he can win some more Norrises or if this is peak Adam Fox. But I'm not sure that this is his peak. No, I, I don't think so either. I just think that it's, you know, a guy like Victor Hedman is still right there knocking on the door. And, you know, like you said, Kale McCarr, is still there. And there's other good young defensemen. Like, I don't think that Quinn Hughes will ever be good enough to win a Norris, but he has very good offensive abilities, you know, just like these young defensemen and the way that like the style that they play can like help them win the Norris. And it's exciting. One award that I think that they got wrong is Fleury winning the Vesna. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion. Uh, I think Vatslavsky deserved the Vesna this year, but I, I want to know what you guys think about that. I, I'm pretty sure I voted Vasilevsky when we talked about our um, award predictions. And I just think Vasilevsky, he's by far the best goal in the league right now. And he didn't just show that in playoffs. He showed that in the regular season. I, I don't I don't think this goes into account for anything. But, like, if you look at his stats and McElhinney's stats, that, that I think that just shows how good of a goalie um, Vasilevsky is and how big he is for Tampa Bay. Because, like, whenever McElhinney played, I think, like, he – oh, where do you go? He he almost had a losing record on Tampa Bay. And he did – I don't even think that his save percentage was in the 900s. No, I don't think so either. either. I think he had a 3.26 goals against. I might be making that out of my ass, but – Yeah, out yeah. the wazoo. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I, I respect Marc-Andre Fleury. I'm kind of surprised he hadn't won a Vesna before this year. But I thought Vasilevsky was a slam dunk Vesna pick. I thought that he was the no-brainer. He was the best goalie by far, in my opinion, this past season. So this one kind of caught me off guard. And to me, this kind of just seemed like a weird thing for the NHL to do. Like, with all due respect to Fleury, he had a great year, but Vasilevsky was just on another level. And I don't know, this just felt like something that you'd see at, like, the Oscars or something, where they're just like, oh, we need to get this guy an award. So then they just vote for him just because they feel he needs an award, which is the most BS thing ever. You should give an award because... The person deserved and had the best performed the best out of everyone that year so to give it to somebody just because you feel they need one before their career is over is kind of garbage in my opinion but 
hey, whatever. I mean, Flurry was, in my opinion, the second best. So, I mean, whatever. I'm not losing any sleep over it. If CNO a vote. Yeah, I'm just I'm just happy that Grubauer didn't win the Vesna. If you would have won it, that would have been, yes, been a joke. It, it just would have been a joke. And then the most important, in my opinion, the most indiv- important individual player award every year is the Conn Smythe, like for individual player award. It, because you're the most important player on the Stanley Cup winning team majority of the time. And that was Andre Vasilevsky. And that was well-deserved. Kucherov, I think, like I, I didn't really check the voting. I don't know if they even released it or not. But he probably would have been close. Well, maybe not close, but he would have been second probably in voting. But Vasilevsky, five straight series. He's closed out with a shutout. That is ridiculous. And games following a loss, I think he's like 13 and 0 or 14 and 0 now with like a 950 something save percentage. Ridiculous. Talk about MVPs. He's the MVP right there. 100%. And people are saying apparently for the con Smythe, it was just, just dependent who played better last night, Kutra or Vasilevsky. That's how close it was. They're saying if Vasilevsky got a shutout or like made 50 saves and only let one goal in, he was going to win it. And if Kutrov scored two points or two goals or something, he was going to win it. So it, it kind of seemed like it was a toss-up for the voting. I, I don't think that either of the players really care because at the end of the day, they won the Stanley Cup. But then again, they are Russian. So you, you, you never know if there's something going on there, if, 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 that's something, if that's like one of their goals or I'm not really sure. But, you know, moving on past or – Owen, you got something to say? No, I was just going to say, I feel like the voting for the Smythe is kind of weird because, like, isn't it they vote at the end of the second period at, like, the end of, like, a potential winning game? I thought that's how it worked. There's something like that. I could, I thought I heard that a few years ago. It's like they vote basically in the middle of the game or something. That's when they have to submit it. I mean, that I, I heard sense. about that. Because yeah, but Pierre LeBron was talking weird. about that too. Because it's such a, like... It just creates such like a recency bias potential vote where like if someone's had a hot, say like two or three past games in the finals, like obviously that's super important. But like, I feel like everything leading up to the cup final always gets like kind of like forgotten, if that makes sense. Like not like obviously Vasilevsky was super deserving, but just the way that the voting, like when I first heard it, I think like a couple years ago, how it worked. It just just kind of, I thought it was such a weird process and that maybe they should be voting. Like, I don't know, like, I mean, I don't really have a better solution to it, but maybe uh, by game four of the finals. So, like, because, I mean, at that point, the series is close to being over, but not quite over. So nothing's changing within the last few games. I don't know. Just my opinion. I wish they would do it like they do in the NBA, where they have the um, NBA finals MVP. Mm -hmm. Like, just do do it between the two teams. Don't have, like, you know... Some, someone from a team that lost in the third round be able to win it, you know. I mean, I know that probably, I don't even know if that has ever happened. I'm sure it probably has once. No, it's never happened. No, but okay. But there, players like Eric Carlson have got votes before. Yeah, where I think they should just do finals MVP. So then it shows, okay, these are the best two teams. Who is the best player from these two teams to win the cup? Well, and even in my opinion, like once it gets to game four, if they if they put in their vote, and then before every game, they reach out to the voters and ask if they would like to change their vote. So like before game five, it's like, hey, Pierre Lebrun, would you like to change your vote? And if he says no, then it could be like that, right? And then before game six, would you like to change your vote? Game seven, whatever, right? Something like that, I think like could work, but it's, it's probably too much of a hassle. And maybe there'll be like some, some voting errors and things like that. That could occur. But either way, I, I think they got the right guy getting the con smite this year. One thing that I that kind of you were saying about like recency bias, Owen. One that kind of comes to mind is like 
Justin Williams. Yeah, that's that's exactly what yeah. I was thinking of. Like, was Drew, like how Drew Doughty didn't win the yeah. Conn Smite that year. Justin Williams, fantastic. But kids are going to be looking at the list of Conn Smythe winners in the future and saying, who the hell's Justin Williams? Mr. Game yeah. 7. That's that's just like, I want Iguodala. Because <laughs> he locked up LeBron and he still got 30 points per game, but whatever. And another one, kind of like, not as severe as like Duncan Keith, like in 2015. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that Patrick Kane should have won the Conn Smythe that year, but... I don't know. Um, Keith was kind of a beast. Though. He, he he was a monster, but so was like I, I don't really know. It doesn't really matter at, at the end of the day. So we got some signing news. Uh, Joel Erickson Eck of the Minnesota Wild just signed a eight-year, forty-two million dollar extension, uh, carrying an annual average value of five point two five million. Uh, when I first saw the contract, I was a little bit, a little bit surprised. I mean, I know that he had a really good year but I didn't expect them to sign him for like that long right off the bat. I mean, like this is kind of like his first breakout year. Like usually when you sign a guy to eight years, he's proven that he can do it for at least two. Uh, But I mean, he is Minnesota's first line center, I believe. So, I mean, getting a guy locked up like that, and if he keeps developing, then maybe that contract looks awesome. And and I hope it does because Minnesota hasn't had anything anything exciting since Marion Gabrick. So I've seen a lot of people say online that this is one of those contracts that's like high risk, high reward. And I 100% agree. He's 24, I want to say. I think he, he received some selkie vote this year. He's really good defensively. Like watching him play against my boy San Jose, fuck in the defensive end, he was everywhere. It was crazy. Like. He, and he's he's such a big body too. Like he, so it's hard not to see him. Let's hear five point two five. That that's not a lot, especially in you know five six years when the cap starts to move back up. That won't be a big contract, right? So I think it's yeah. He's only had one really good breakout year in the NHL, but I think Minnesota's uh, thought process for this was okay. If we can lock him up now, and we see a lot of potential in him, let's fucking do it. It kind of feels like Minnesota's plan it seems is that they want to get their guys locked up long term because i mean obviously this contract they got him signed to the max and clearly they feel he's a huge part of the future and we're hearing with kaprizov that they want him long term and that he's apparently not willing to commit that long term which is kind of understandable but yeah i guess that's the strategy in minnesota with the a newer GM there and Bill Guerin. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with uh, Kevin Fiala and Kaprizov now, now that they have Eric Sinek signed long-term. Apparently the whole Kaprizov stuff was like BSA. I kind of saw it from the, from the day yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. I, I was just like, wow, I think it was Kevin Weeks that reported it, mm-hmm. who's kind of, you know, big, bigger hockey guy. So I was kind of surprised that it was him. If it was someone small, then fucking kick rocks, but. Reddit. Yeah, yeah. Reddit. Uh, another contract that is very similar to Eric's next contract is Ryan Nugent Hopkins remaining with the Oilers for another eight years, $41 million contract, which is an annual average value of $5.125 million. Uh, I don't, this is definitely not an overpayment in annual average salary for Nugent Hopkins, but I think that eight years is going to be a long time having him, especially year six, seven, eight. He'll be in like his like mid mid to late thirties by then. So well not not late, but I'm pretty sure he'll be like like 34, 35, 36 by then. Yeah. Hudson, like everybody Hudson, he made a good point. He was like, is it gonna be easy to move in six years when the Oilers are trash because McDavid's gonna leave? But 
I don't know. I just think eight years for Nugent Hawkins at his age right now. Yeah, Erickson X, his is good because he's 24. But I think kind of Nuge, eight years is a lot. But the, the money is really good, I think, for him. Yeah, I think for the Oilers, I think it makes a lot of sense because they could have given him four years or whatever. But then, you know, the, the cap, it would have just skyrocketed. So I think for them, they're trying to probably win in the next few years. Um, I mean, they still need to find a starting goalie that's not 39 years old. But apart from that, I mean, obviously, as long as you have McDavid and Drysdale, you're trying to win the cup every year. So I guess it makes sense short term. But, yeah, we'll see how it ages. I mean, at least it's not like a, a $10 million cap hit or something crazy. I think five mil is manageable. And, you know, worst case is they can find it, like pull a leaf, so what they did with Patrick Marlowe and pack him with the first round pick and, and what we think is going to happen with Tyler Johnson. So I guess we'll see how this plays out for the Oilers. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, the next bit of NHL news, um, Nashville traded Victor Arvidsson for a second-round pick in 2021 and a third-round pick in 2022 to the LA Kings. And Philip Forsberg is not happy. He, he posted something on his Instagram story. It was like a thumbs-down emoji or something like that. And Nashville now all of too. the rumors are all the rumors are swirling now. You know, I've seen teams like uh, like the Oilers be linked to him, um, the New York Islanders, the Boston Bruins. Somehow everybody is always linked to them, but I, I'm not really sure if he will move. I think he will eventually. Oh, yeah, and also the Leafs, right? Everybody goes to the Leafs. So I'm not really sure if he will move like yet, but it's clear that Nashville is kind of starting to – to get, get rid of everything here and which i think is the right thing for them to do because they will not be good enough to win a cup but they're also not bad enough to get a good pick so i think that going in this direction is the right thing for their franchise i think this is a very good move for la like yeah the, people were saying that nashville's worried that they'll you know they, they, they would have had to give away arvidson but it's like i was trying to think who, who would they who would they want to keep over victor arvidson from that roster Duchesne, Johansson, Forsberg, Tolvanen. I don't know if you're talking still... expansion draft. Expansion draft, yeah. Oh, I don't even think Johansson and Duchesne are getting protected. I bet you they go with like Colton Sissons and uh, Luke. Yeah, Cunning. yeah, like no they're cheaper younger guys. Getting protected no. because Seattle's not going to take them anyways, or they well, shouldn't it, take them anyways. It, exactly. So if they're going to leave them unprotected, then why would they feel they need to give up Arvinson if they're going to lose him? That, that's I, just my thinking of it but yeah i don't i think i saw somewhere where they're saying they could maybe even protect five defensemen or i don't know if i'm mixing it up with another team but one team i was reading up where it was like they might protect like five defensemen i don't I know if it was about carolina with that too i yeah i can't remember which team it was but i mean i don't know yeah i agree with you Keen. though i think it's a great move for la because they're kind of an up and coming team but you can't just have a team full of 20 21 year olds 22 year olds you need some guys to kind of help them out and i think arvidson is um definitely going to help out with that he just needs to stay healthy and i don't think la is done this summer i think they're going to add another top six forward it'll just be a matter of who jack eichel yeah and probably a defenseman too because i mean we heard drew doughty asking for help so i think uh, rob blake will give them all the help they need maybe he'll come out of retirement (laughs) the the move that that LA made for Erickson or not for Erickson X. Sorry. I'm reading my notes for Arvidsson kind of reminds me of like what Ottawa did last summer, bringing in um, Stepan or Derek Stepan, whatever the fuck you want to call him. And uh, Dadanov, right. It's just experience and players that are, that are good. Right. And they can fill holes in their lineup. And 
I think that Ottawa completely accomplished what they wanted to do this year. They wanted to progress their young players properly while not being shit, but also by still getting like a decent pick, right? And guys like Dadanov and Stefan got good experience um, for, for like their young players, like um, Stutes, the Norris, Batherson. Mm-hmm. And I think that Arvidsson could do kind of like a similar thing in LA. And while also I think that he could, I think that he could get back to his 30 goal potential. He's, he's a good he's little good player. I used to hate him when, like playing against the Jets in the playoffs that one year, but yeah, like his his jump tip thing that pissed me off to this day. Matt this Ronald, day. he has so hard. It was so fu- like oh, every time he would score, Owen would fucking lose his shit. Same with Marchiso, Marchiso, Marchiso. Oh boy, Johnny Marchiso. Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and the next uh, rumor that turned into not being a rumor anymore is that Tarasenko wants out supposedly he is not happy with the way that St. Louis managed his uh, shoulder surgeries however that may be you know maybe they didn't let him seek out his own treatment that he wanted to get or whatever for it or maybe they they wanted him to come back too quickly I'm not really sure what it is about that shoulder injury but you know, I, I believe he has two years left at a seven and a half million dollar cap hit, which is manageable, right? It doesn't really matter how high the cap hit is if there's a low amount of term like that. And I think that Tarasenko could be a very appealing uh, piece for teams to to want to trade for. And right now they're 100% buying low. He's barely played the last two years, right? So teams aren't going to know what what he's worth and what he is anymore. So I think that we could see a relatively low low package going the other way. Send him to Tampa. They'll make it work. But they'll put him on LTIR all year. When I first heard that Tarasenko was wanting out, the team and player that immediately came to mind is Evgeny Kuznetsov in Washington. Why not just swap two Russians who are struggling for each other? I know that um, it may not make sense in Washington to add another winger, but I mean, they seem to have a thing for Russians, and it's worked out pretty well with Ovi and uh, Kuznetsov up until recently, and Dmitry Orlov and you know, they just got so many Russians there that, I mean, why not? And I mean, yeah, St. Louis doesn't really need another center, but you know what? If you run a one, two, three of a Shen O'Reilly and Kuznetsov, I mean, oh, good luck. Yeah, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. My first team was the Islanders. I don't know how they would make it work with that cap situation going into this year with free agency, but can you imagine Tarasenko and Barzell playing together? I, th- I think that would be the one piece the Islanders are missing to make it to the cup final. Honestly, I think if they got Tarasenko, I would put money on them to make the cup final next year. You were just talking about money. The only thing that they're missing is money yeah, at this that, point in time. And they have to resign. They have to resign Pelic and, and Pulock or, or Pollock or whatever. Right. I want to so, say, say one has one more year on their deal. Yeah. Pollock has another yeah, year. Okay, yeah. 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 So Pollock has another year. Right. But Pelic's going to cost money. Hundred <laughs> percent. So Lou is gonna have to find money sure. out of his wazoo to get. He's gonna have to get. But he's gonna have to get his GM of the year head ass into the game here. Somehow wins back to back GM of the years. Don't really know how that works. Too. Can we talk about how Bergevin was even nominated? Nominated for GM of the year when everyone was saying if the Habs lost in the first round, he was probably gonna get fired. Like I, I just don't understand how that works. People say playoffs don't kick into it. Well, of course for fucking Bergevin it did. Well, I guess that's why. Fans don't vote for NHL awards. And the last signing for us to report here is that Travis Dermott signed a two-year, $3 million contract, which means that he's carrying a $1.5 million annual average value. Um, 
I, I don't really know. I don't really care about this contract, right? I, it's just another player that they'll have to worry about getting taken from them in the expansion draft, even though I believe that it will be Alex Kerfoot getting, getting chosen by Seattle. But, I mean, Dermott's like – He's a good little defenseman. He moves well. He can pass well. I, I think that it's a good signing for Toronto. So looking at the roster after this signing, they have 17, 17 guys on the roster signed right now, and they only have $9.3 million left in cap space. You want to know who they have to sign still? Or like who are their free agents, which I don't know if they'll sign them all. Felino, Thornton, Riley Nash, Gauchenyuk, Hyman. Those are their forwards. They have Ben Hutton and Bogo to sign on D. And they only have one goalie signed right now in Jack Johnson or Jack Campbell. Jesus. They have to re-sign Freddie Anderson and David Riddick, which I don't think they will. But like Freddie Anderson, I think he's I think they have to re-sign him. Uh, I would say I know Jack Campbell had a real good year, but Anderson was hurt all year. Right. And then having to, you know, try to get Hyman back. And I don't think they'll get Felino back. I think he'll go back to Columbus, but I I, I don't know how they're gonna make theirs their cap space work but that, I guess that's what happens when you have three guys making over 10 mil almost 11 million they definitely screwed themselves with their contracts obviously we all know this but I I, I think that that their core I, I think that it's good enough to carry them somewhere I think that they've just kind of ran into not like bad luck but they've gotten bad performances at bad times from players and I know that this isn't a, a performance but John Tavares getting hurt if he doesn't get hurt, I don't think the Habs win that series, in my opinion. So I, I think that their core could get it done. If they keep adding these like pieces for like league minimum, I think that they, they can get it done. They just have to find the right combinations. And, you know, Zach Hyman is going to hurt a lot to lose because I think that they will lose him. I think but so maybe that frees up room for them to trade for Tarasenko or, so, or like a player like that or maybe Forsberg where the team – retains a little bit of salary or something like that and maybe they they trade like like a pretty decent package over but i think kyle dubas is a really good gm and i think that he's a wizard with the cap so i think that he'll find a way to make this team very competitive again next year yeah it doesn't help that morgan riley's in a contract year two going to this year that's exactly where i was headed i was gonna say i feel like it's like one of the more like under talked about considering it's a toronto maple leaf that we're talking about that no one's been one i mel oh can you imagine he's going to I Vancouver? No, I always think I feel like a good fit for him would be LA. We were talking about how LA needs players. I mean, they've already done business a few years ago with Jake Muzzin. I think honestly, Riley on LA could be a perfect fit. They don't really have a ton of defensive prospects. So, you know, when if you had uh, Morgan Riley to with a uh, Drew Doughty, Bjorn Bjornfoot, um, Matt Roy, like, I mean, yeah, Walker. I mean, LA is going to be up and coming. Like, Within the next few years, they're going to be pretty sick. I like Cal Peterson Sorry, a lot, too. I, I, I know that I sound like the hockey guy right now. He loves Cal Peterson. But I, I think that Cal Peterson is a very good goalie. Played well at the World Championships, right? I, I think that them having like a little tandem right now of Quick and Peterson will be good because you know Quick has obviously a bunch of experience. He's been to the Olympics. He's won two Stanley Cups and he won a Conn Smythe. So I, I think that they're, they're only a, a few pieces away from making the playoffs already, I think. And then after that, it'll just be a few years of developing their whole young core. And then I think that they could be poised to be like a, another modern modern day dynasty. I, I don't think that they really were a modern day dynasty, but they won two cups in three years. So 
I think they could get back to like a certain level, maybe not that level, but close to it for sure. Where does LA pick this year in the draft? Eight. Eight? Okay. Right after San Jose. Honestly, I, I think that having like the seventh and eighth pick is going to be really good in this draft because you basically just get who falls who falls to you that is kind of like consensus being in like the top eight or whatever. I think yeah. I, I think Gunther will probably be there at seven or eight. You guys hear the rumors about who Buffalo wants? Apparently they're super high on Eklund. Yeah, we were talking oh about this. We were talking about this when we were playing NHL. Because remember you said uh, who, who told you said someone told you or you you were talking to someone about it that they haven't even interviewed Owen Power. Yeah, they haven't interviewed Power or Beniers yet. They're interviewing Power. This like I they interviewed him today. I guess today's oh, Thursday, okay. so they interviewed him today. So yeah, you would, you would kind of interesting that they wouldn't have interviewed him first though. I was mm-hmm. I was just about to say that. Yeah, that is Th- interesting. This, if if they pick Eklund, that is fucked. I mean, I actually don't think it's. I think it's actually a kind of a smart pick actually if they were to go with him. Like him or Beniers, I feel like should be going one. It sounds like Owen Power will go one, but I mean, yeah, that would just be so cool because like when was the last time that there was a number one pick where people got the pick wrong? I guess probably Nolan Patrick and he sure, but like since then, like it doesn't happen very often where there's not a consensus con- the consensus number one draft pick. Fumbling this draft should here. be this draft should be very interesting to watch. Hopefully the fellas can get together for it. Maybe oh, yeah. we'll you know, live I've been stream. throwing together I've been throwing together my mock draft recently. Oh I um, haven't even touched mine yet. Oh you know how many guys I have San Jose picking right now? About 18. Everyone in the top 10. Yeah. No, I've had somebody that, as a Jets fan, somebody that I've really queued in on in the past, I'll say week or two, where, Coronado, you know, where I've been doing Coronado, even more yeah. research. Sorry, what were you guys saying? Coronado. Coronado. No, 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 no. I've changed my mind. Okay, oh, so Coronado, we talked about him a few weeks ago, about how he'd be sick. I still think that'd be sick if we picked him, but... Going with where the Jets have drafted recently in recent years, I predict that we will go for Isaac Rosen or Rosane, however you say it in Swedish. Ooh, he's 5'11, 160. Yeah. I'm telling you, watch some footage of this guy. He reminds me so much of Nikolai Ehlers. He's money, he's so fast. He had like his goal game in the U18. The Jets have gone to Sweden a lot recently, so I think like Oscar Olsen could be another option for them. But I think if they left the draft with a Rosen, I think that'd be a success. Although, yeah, Coronado, we've talked about him. He'd be kind of sick if he was there. But, yeah, just the more I've, I've been doing more and more research recently and watching more footage, and the more I see, the more I, I kind of hope that that's how everything plays out on whenever the draft likey, is. Likey. 24th. I do. That's what I'm hoping happens. I think he's, he's got some good potential there. I think he's the real deal, too. Another player that I've seen a lot in, like, mock drafts for the Jets is Zachary Leroux. I've seen him in, in, in a few of them. I don't really like, I, I think he'd be like cool, but d- definitely my one, two is Cor- Coronado one. And then Rose or Rosen, I think number two um, for like who I'd want. I think Coronado will probably be gone. Uh, that's, that's kind of how, like what I've seen in, in like a lot of mock drafts and just kind of like how it's trending right now. I think that he'll probably be gone, but if he isn't like, that'd be a good pick. It honestly, I trust Kevin Shovel Day off. He's been he's been a good drafter over the and years. Chevy, you trust exactly. Aside from maybe a couple like misses, but like I don't really believe that they're like huge misses, anyways. Like like Veselinen, I mean, like that's kind of a miss. 
I mean, yeah, we still don't know for sure, but yeah, as of right now, I mean, he hasn't established himself. Yeah, so I guess as also, of right now, given opportunity. I was gonna say, by, I think Maurice is kind of fucked up. I mean, and like the whole COVID thing too, with the taxi squad, it's kind of screwed him over. Where he can't really play anywhere, so this past year was just kind of a waste for him. So it kind of sucked. He's not the only one who suffered. So it is what it is. Anyways, is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we sign off today? He and who's your number one guy you want? For the Sharks at seven. Oh, yeah. I feel like we've talked about this, but <sighs> I know you said Maddie Benitez, but he's gonna be gone. So like he's like your power. <laughs> I, I, I honestly do not know because I want a forward, obviously. Everyone wants I think a majority of teams want forwards, but fuck the sharks. I think every pick last year was a forward. So I, I don't see them picking a forward first again. I see them going D, but <laughs> honestly, honestly, I don't know too many prospects from this draft. I really know Johnson because I love Johnson. Bernier's obviously I love, but he'll be way gone. Yeah, I don't know. I Brant Clark Wallstead. maybe, but Clark I don't, will be I, gone to Alonzo too. Yeah, I don't know about Wallstead. I I just don't, I don't like know. the I idea. Think Clark might be there. Really? I just don't like the idea of a goalie in my top ten. Spoiler alert: I have Brant Clark going to LA at eight, so he'd be there at seven. Wow. In according to my mock draft, which will probably be wrong. Are the boys wanting to make up a mock draft for next pod? We each have our go over and we just get mad at each other for why we each made stupid picks. I'll be like, <laughs> why the fuck do you guys have this? The Sharks taking this guy. No. I have the Sharks well, taking. I can just say, you just said you don't know anything about the prospects. Yeah. So I can use that <laughs> you can make someone up. I'll everything. be like, sure. Lick right. my sack. So <laughs> this year. <laughs> button. Technically, since I'm a late birthday, this is my NHL draft year. So the San Jose Sharks are taking Nathan Gould at seventh overall. I'm I'm like the next like I don't know like like Jonathan J O'Brien, <laughs> J O. I'm the next <laughs> J O'Brien. High school hockey goes and plays one year at Providence College. Sucks. Decommits. Goes and plays a year in the BCHL, and then commits to I think like Boston University or Boston College. I still can't believe he's That's, a first over or first round pick. I, I think he was like 17th overall or something like that, too. Mid first round pick. Then he made the world junior team and had like no points in seven games. Yeah, I don't, I don't and, know who the Sharks picking. It's, I don't know. I just hope it's not someone out of the wazoo. Out the wazoo? Anyways, uh, we'd like to thank you guys for listening. And uh, I'd like to give a, uh, a thanks to Kian. He's the one that makes these podcasts happen, he stays up after we record these and he he has them posted the very next day so everything that you hear uh in the morning or whenever you listen it is recorded about 12 hours before it's posted so we'd just like to thank Ian for that he puts in a lot of hard work editing these for you guys and uh without further ado we'll see you guys next time thunder 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 thunder